0: Will it be uncomfortable for me? Because I'm looking at numbers and saying, oh boy, we're you know, we're we're not where we want to be, yes. But I mean how many how many companies are getting somewhere where they need to be by being completely comfortable?
1: Hello, welcome to Culture Crunch, brought to you by the Hunters and Unicorns where we talk about everything culture-related within the tech space. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by John Germanario, Head of People at Pebble Post. Hi, John. Good to see you.
0: Good to see you.
1: John, are you able to uh, just give us an overview about exactly what you do and, uh, and a little bit about Pebble Post as well, please?
0: Sure. So I have been in human resources for about 15 years now. I am the head of people at Pebble Post. Uh, we are a 65-person a digital marketing and advertising technology startup and experiencing some very explosive growth. So a lot of challenges to solve, but a lot of exciting things to, to handle here from a people perspective. So that's my role. I've been here about five months now and excited to see what the future holds.
1: Fantastic, thank you, John. And I guess the the, the first question and and a really important question, so no pressure, is that given your position and all of your incredible experience, what does good company culture look like to you, John?
0: I would say good company culture or the best company cultures that I've seen are ones where people can feel like they are able to be collaborative at all levels of the organization so at a smaller organization it's a bit easier but even at a larger organization when you know an entry level person can rub elbows with the cfo and people can feel like they're heard not only from a professional but a personal perspective i think that allows all of us to feel a level of family frankly and a level of transparency where we're getting you know we're getting something from our employer I think where I've seen cultures struggle is where there's not that transparency and there's all of you know there's a lot of different silos. so to me, the the ability to interact cross-functionally from the top down and the bottom up um, without fear of, you know, your words being taken out of context or, or being saying, hey, that that's not a great idea. Why would you think that? So those types of collaborative cultures, I, I think, are, are really helpful and lend themselves to a lot of great things and a lot of great work.
1: It's interesting what you said earlier about getting something back from your company. So we're not just talking about your salary, right? I, I mean, are you talking about more of a holistic viewpoint there?
0: I am. I I tell people and, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but you know, when you start feeling like you're giving more to your employer than they are giving to you, or you're gaining, it, it may be time to find something new. And and that's not, to your point, that's not just salary. It's not just a raise. It's, hey, am I waking up most days? Right. I'm not naive enough to think it's every day, of course. But most days, do I get up excited about the people I work with, the work I'm doing, and, and do I? It does it make me happy? And mm-hmm different things make different people happy from a personal and professional perspective. And I think when you're at a company, uh, when you're in a role that's not making you happy, I think it's time to reevaluate. And a lot of time that happiness comes with the fact that you feel like I'm giving so much, just like any relationship, right? The employer-employee relationship is, is like many other relationships all of us experience. So when you feel like you are the one that's giving, it's not always a great feeling. So you want to feel as an employee, I'm, I'm receiving something from this relationship that's making me happy, both personally and professionally.
1: Right. Okay. Understood. And so we're talking about what sort of energizes you, because different things energize all of us, right? But are we are we able to uh, achieve that and obtain that from where we work? Because you know we're, we're there so often, and, and that's a really interesting uh, perspective on it. Now in, we've talked a, a little bit about. The, the ideal standard from an employee perspective. But from an employer's perspective, especially within the tech space, I mean, what do you think is one of the biggest obstacles in hiring and creating good culture? Where does it begin? Or does it begin in one place? What are your thoughts?
0: I would say that it the biggest obstacle begins at especially at a tech company, especially at a startup, from the idea of we always need this next new person, and many times at a startup it's a new role, new to the company, mm-hmm. to, to sort of hit the ground running. When when we interview for opportunities, sometimes I've had hiring managers and hiring teams say, this person's an A+, they're fantastic. And my response is always, well, maybe we didn't interview them correctly then, because there should always be something that, that That there are some some opportunities that this person can improve on some things that we're going to have to watch out for when this person starts if someone's starting in a new role at a company there should be some stumbling blocks right and and we should be able to uncover those during the interview process so i think that a lot of companies will get in their own way thinking they need this perfect candidate and maybe worrying too much about what's on paper on paper, this person is fantastic. And that has a whole, and I'm sure we'll get into it, a whole other set of trickle down effects, right? Whether it's relating to opportunity or diversity or who's actually getting the opportunity to be in these roles from a young age into college and, and in the workforce. So I think it's looking for someone that's a perfect fit, that's going to hit the ground running versus what type of value will this person add? What are the must-haves? And what can we teach in the room?
1: Understood, so in terms of really ascertaining what that criteria is, one one of the most sort of important functions and people within, especially a startup, right, is, is the formidable TA, the talent acquisition. So what do you think is a challenge faced by TAs today within the tech space in terms of hiring and, and hiring well, and by that I mean, hiring individuals that hit that agreed criteria?
0: I would say it all starts with a lack of preparation okay. and probably bad habits that people bring to the table. Mm-hmm. When I say lack of preparation, I mean, did you sit down as the hiring manager and you know with your peers who are going to be the sponsors for this role and say, here's what we're looking for, right? not a job description, not something that has jargon right? that, that we see out there that's two pages long, but what's that scorecard, right? How am I going to hold this person accountable? What are the outcomes that I'm expecting of them in 90 days, six months, one year, two years? And then eventually you kind of get to why are we hiring this person? (laughs) Right. And it's not just, well, because we need another software engineer. Well, why do we need another software engineer? Well, because our product roadmap says that we need to get an automated dashboard. Okay. So now how is that software engineer going to be held accountable to that? and what what is their impact going to be versus what the other software engineers are going to be. And then you can start to have something where you're putting pen to paper and saying, okay, this is what this particular person will be doing. And then when you have that written down, you've got something that's outcome-based, that's KPI-based, and you can put some really good descriptors together. I think it really helps you throughout your hiring process. You can always refer back to that scorecard throughout the hiring process and say, wait, is this person really meeting what we need? Versus, hey, I, I like them, right. right? Which is another common pitfall of just, you know, mm. the airport test. I would not recommend that as a as a starting point for a hiring tool.
1: Absolutely, because by that, often individuals then hire other individuals that look and sound like them. But we'll we'll get on to that. That's a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not drum the gun. So you talked earlier about KPIs and, and data and metrics. mm Hmm. How important are those things when hiring? Because we obviously want to really propel the the human side of things, which is really important. But do you think, I mean, is there still a place for the metrics and the data when hiring? What's your thoughts on that?
0: Absolutely. I, I think that the more data you can consume and leverage to make a decision, the better. The trick is which data to use and which data to ignore. I think sometimes as hiring managers and, and HR departments, we can get so consumed in the data um, that it almost like blocks our vision of what we're really looking for and what we're seeing. So what what I mean by that might be, um, let's say we are looking for someone in a marketing role and you know, <clears throat> we know that the data says that, let's use compensation data, the data says that they should be at a certain number but we're expecting this person to grow into a leadership role. We kind of want someone who can maybe punch above their weight. Well, maybe we should be paying them a bit more. And understanding that, you know, looking just at compensation data might not be the whole thing where your your CFO might say, hey, the data tells us that this person should be making X. Why are we paying them X plus Y? Right. So, okay, well, here's why. So that's just one example of adding nuance. Well, someone in a similar role in a similar title will be making less than them. Okay, well here's why that is. Or maybe we need to review that person's salary. Maybe they're not paid according to the market anymore. So I think the more data we have the better. That's just one example of compensation, but nuance in the data I think will really help as well.
1: Understood. So would you say that as it stands currently there is a a sense of that there is a void when it comes to process and data from a hiring manager or, or, or the TA viewpoint? W- would you go as far as to say that?
0: Yes, I would. <laughs> I yes. certainly would.
1: Okay. In, in terms of what can be done right now, what can what can companies do from a hiring perspective to positively impact that process? What would you suggest?
0: The first thing that I would suggest for anyone that feels like they're struggling with hiring is Reverting back to what I mentioned about just having a good scorecard, right? Having a good set of here's who we are looking for. Here are the objectives. Here's who's going to meet with those people. Let's make sure everyone is aligned and let's make sure that we understand the expectation, right? So that will one, provide a good candidate experience because the candidate will get a consistent experience. They won't be asked the same questions over and over. They will understand your timeline and what you're looking for. And then hopefully by the time you get to an offer, you know, you've excited the candidate enough and they understand the role enough where when they start, they know what to expect. I mean, there's nothing worse than starting a job and being surprised I, this wasn't what I thought, this wasn't what I was told. And a lot of times that's because a hiring manager didn't step back and just say, here's what I'm looking for and, and didn't organize the process. So to me, that that's not, that's not finding compensation data. That's not getting data on turnover. That's just, you know, taking the time, setting aside the time to say, here's what we need to do. And a lot of times hiring managers, again, are just so busy that they're not putting aside that hour during the day to say, okay, I just need to sit down and put pen to paper yeah. on exactly what we're looking for and how we're going to achieve that.
1: And I suppose just, you know, following on from that, that's really about empowering the TA because you're actually giving them the structure and the purpose as to why that hire needs to be made. And I think we've all been in scenarios where the hiring manager or the TA actually isn't really privy to that information and it slows the process down or it negatively impacts the activity surrounding the hiring. And so actually by including and um involving the TA or the hiring manager I think well my understanding is what you're saying is that that's going to have a positive impact
0: yeah something that a former boss and mentor of mine told me once was that you know HR TA like you should be native in the business right and and when he used that term he meant you can't just be the HR person who's turning lights on and off and citing policy and you know rolling out a performance review you need to understand the business the same way someone in finance does, the same way someone in supply chain does, the same way someone in technology does. yeah, because that will allow you as you recruit, one to be seen as a strategic partner and two, to be able to ask the right questions and you know find the right people and put in the right process to succeed. If you don't understand the business to me, you're starting off from a point of negativity. You're just you're going to be sunk. You're just another person looking for a body versus saying, I understand how this business operates. I know what we need. And, and and I can leverage all of that business acumen and understanding. And frankly, the first five plus months I've been here at Pebble Pose, I've just been immersing myself in what do our engineers do? What's our sales process like? How do these teams interact with each other? Because you know, many times businesses are quite complex. And if I can't explain it to my parents, to my siblings, how can I explain it to a candidate in a coherent
1: matter that's that's really interesting I suppose it's about what we're asking our HR or our TA individuals to almost be kept in the dark and then expecting them to be shining a light on exactly what we need and how how can we empower them you know it's, it's it's about giving them every advantage not tying one hand behind the back and saying hey let's let's come out swinging it doesn't really work sorry about the violent analogy there I don't know why I used that one but anyway and <laughs> so we talked a lot, John, about the hiring part, OK, having that scorecard, the hiring manager being fully immersed into the purpose of the hire and and the communication and communication channels being key with that piece. But let's now talk about the hiring the hiring's taking place, OK, that the, the stellar individuals are now hired and part of the business. Now what? What's the next step?
0: Well, to me, another gap that I've seen and I've handled is making sure that that employee experience is is A, what you told them it would be, and B, you going to foster the type of growth and, and foster the type of KPI achievements that you set mm-hmm. forth to them during the interview process. So how are they onboarded? Many times, again, it's just a lack of preparation and saying, hey, here's how we're going to onboard people. Here's who we need them to meet with. What's their 30-day plan, their 90-day plan? Is there an ability to pivot six months in? Because many times you start a job and then six months in, you're doing two or three things you didn't think you'd be doing. You're not doing two or three things you thought you would be yeah. doing. So I think making sure that there's that, one, a good onboarding process. And that doesn't have to be this incredibly robust thing. But, but just at the very least, a process that makes someone feel comfortable and, and helps them learn the business versus just saying, Here you go. Mm. Because in a world where many of us are remote, I mean, we're doing this remote, it's hard to feel connected to a company, right? So in a world where a lot of us are on screen now versus in person, having that connection and having those touch points with people, you know, is really going to help them kind of dive deeper and immerse themselves in, okay, I feel good about working here and that'll help me perform better.
1: And do you think companies are doing enough, especially, you know, specifically within the tech space, do you think companies are doing enough to really invest in the retention of their people?
0: I would say that companies are trying to do enough, but they may not be investing in the right things, right? So what do I mean by that? Is food and a foosball table really what your people want, right? Do your benefits align with your population, okay. right? Well, what types of benefits are your, are your, is your population looking for? What type of investment and financial advice or tools can you provide? That's another form of benefits. Are you listening to your employees, right? Or are you just listening to the executives who think they know what your employees want? Right. So I think many companies do have their heart in the right place, right? They're trying to invest by, it's the great resignation. I just need to throw money mm-hmm. at people. or wow, we just are gonna give people great benefits or a CEO has this great idea of what they wanna do regarding bonus and money makes people happy, but money doesn't make everybody happy. Many people at companies are caregivers in one way or another. It's not always a child. Sometimes it's a mother, a brother, a sister, right? And making good money is fantastic, but not feeling like you have to be always attached to your machine is better and i think people would potentially trade off a little bit of money and that's not to say we want to underpay people but let's invest instead of food and fun and events maybe less let's invest in hey do we need an hour lunch break every day so everyone can reset hey do we need the first friday off every month because people are burned out by the time they're done with the month you have to find what fits for your culture and your people and really and really get to know them i think many employers Especially sort of this old school thinking of we don't want to know our employees. Like you're one person at work, you're another person at home. Guess what? That doesn't work anymore because we're all, we're not working from home. We're sort of homing from work. Like work is now in the home. So you you should get to know your employees. You you should get to know them. You should embrace them who they are, embrace who they're not, and make the experience you're providing for them a pleasant one
1: a real takeaway for me has been that piece about understanding your people before they step foot into the office. Because I think a lot of us, and you know, I think I'm I'm guilty of this, perhaps you are as well, is that we, we walk into our office and it's like, okay, right, I'm at work now and I have to be, I have to be a certain person. And I mean, we all do that to an extent. And I think there's I mean, that's important. If I was to turn up to work in my like Spongebob pajamas, I don't think it would go down too well. But understanding who our people are and then looking at how we can energize them, what benefits are appropriate. And you said something else that really resonated. You said about finding the the benefits that are right for the people and understanding that a table tennis table isn't necessarily going to work in every, you know, one size doesn't always fit all. How guilty do you think, you know, high growth companies in the in sort of software tech space are at kind of just throwing money at things, assuming they're ticking that culture box?
0: Very <laughs> immensely guilty. Hey, here's, here's double your salary. Doesn't that make you happy? I don't know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I mean, money's great. We like money all of us like toys, but you know, maybe I would like to have a lot of times. Let me take a step back in this, the tech space. And I think in many spaces, money means ownership. So I'm an employer, I'm paying at top of market. I expect you to be here. I expect you to be here early. I expect you to be here late. I expect you to be here on, I expect you to be on call. You wanna you wanna log off on a Thursday because your kid has a T ball game at three o'clock and you're gone from three to six? I don't care. I you know, I pay you a lot of money and I expect you to be here. So so I think that that sense of an employer saying, I, I sort of own you because I pay you all of this money is where the pitfall is there, instead of really understanding what the employee need is. And I think it comes back to empowering your leaders. So what I mean by that is that one-size-fits-all some people might want ping pong some people might want a nintendo in the office some people might not the one-size-fits-all won't work especially as a company scales but if you empower your hiring managers to make decisions without having to come to hr or come to their boss for every little thing they can kind of customize what works for their employees so let's say you know frank needs off because he's got to take care of someone or something between three and six every day great you don't need approval for that you're a hiring manager you know how to hold people accountable if that works if that doesn't negatively impact frank in the business let's have him do that right someone else want, might want to be gone during lunch someone else might want to you know work all hours and they just want to get paid because they want to drive a tesla I, it's, it's different for everybody right so knowing those motivations and empowering your leaders to say hey within reason use judgment and you know sort of customize your experience for each employee I think that's helpful as well again everything within reason right we want to try to have equity and fairness and sort of everything we're doing but I think HR needs to be a little bit more gray and a little, a little less black and white and I think that would really go a long way.
1: Thank you I mean that's really insightful just a couple of things so as, as a leadership we, we we discuss entitlement don't we entitlement of people and and that being a negative, right? But do we ever question the entitlement of the leaders? Because you talked about that, um, the t ball game, and how I think as leaders we can we can lean towards. Well, I'm paying you this; these are your hours. You've you've got to be there. And of course, it's within reason, as you said. But I think entitlement goes both ways, and that's actually not something I've really considered in a huge amount of depth before. Well, actually, until you, until you raised your point which is entitlement works both ways and just as leaders we expect you know our people to bring their best equally we are not entitled to own them every second of every day regardless of how well they are being paid and I think having more conversations actually about about that gray area that you spoke about and about you know understanding things based on the people and and looking at things based on their own merit I think there is a lot to be done in that space especially within the tech domain would you agree with that I would absolutely we're, we're, we're so focused on hiring exceptional individuals and a lot of our conversations are on are on the hiring point but actually by not having a high retention rate, I mean, companies are losing, hemorrhaging money. Why do you think that companies are not spending more time focusing actually on the retention? Do you think it's an oversight? Do you think it's intentional? What's your perspective?
0: I would say that it's not intentional. I think it's many of the people in leadership positions have an idea of what the employee experience should be for the past 20 to 40 years and that's changed and that didn't just start with the most recent generation right that's been going on for several generations now and what i mean by that is we're we're too black and white and so what does that look like it means depending on the data you look at, a new employee or losing someone can cost, you know, between three and 15x their salary, right? It kind of depends who you want to believe. But the point is that companies are so caught up in, uh, and here's an example. Let's say uh, we're going to hire someone that's going to report to you, right? We're going to hire someone. They're going to report to you. We find a great candidate. They're fantastic. We're going to have to pay them $10,000 more than you make as their manager in order to hire them. Many companies, the ones I've worked for, ones that my colleagues work for, will say, "Ah, we can't do that. You know, we just, they're out of our range. We can't do it. Instead of saying, well, maybe the hiring manager is underpaid. Maybe we need some more data there. Maybe we should just give the hiring manager a $25,000 raise. So now that person's not underpaid, you know, making more than their subordinate or making less than their subordinate, excuse me. And the common response to that is, well, it's off cycle how can we do that? That's 18%. We've never done that before. Uh, We just can't. Right. So, and think about what we're talking about. We're talking about investing an extra $35,000, let's say or $25,000 in your people to now the hiring manager is going to say, wow, this, this company, they took a look proactively at my salary and gave me a raise. I I really appreciate that. How does that feel? It feels great. The person you're hiring, is hired at a competitive rate and you know you got a great person. For what? 25000 bucks, As opposed to, let's hire someone less. Um, now they're not going to be as good. Maybe the hiring is more of a coin flip because they don't have all the capabilities we wanted. So it's I just don't think that teams are agile enough. And, and those are the reasons why retention becomes hard when, when you're only focusing on the people you're adding and you're not focusing on the people who are in the seats now.
1: And do you think that we're moving in the right direction or because, look, sometimes I think we are and other times I think it's where it's glacial pace. And given the the cadence and momentum at which product and services within the tech space are being delivered and improved, which is exponential speed from a people angle, we're kind of just the slower relative, just, you know, not quite. Up, up to the speed of you know that, that, that we should be what's your thoughts on that
0: I think we're seeing more conversations like this happen now than we have ever before you know when I entered the workforce 15 years ago I this was not a topic it was show up do what I say not do as I say not as I do almost like your parents would tell me right but but I think now 15 years later have we made progress absolutely have we made enough progress I don't think so um i still think there there's a lot of companies who still feel like i am paying you so i again just going back to the i own you i have that entitlement over you right versus saying i'm paying you i'm going to hold you accountable that's another can of worms that i don't know that companies do a great job of knowing how do i how do i know this person's doing a good job how do i hold them accountable right they just kind of hire them for a job and let them let the people go and, and you know there's still a lot of gaps that i see where companies Get back to work. Well, why, why get back to work? My productivity is up 120%. Well, because I'm paying for real estate and I want you in the office. Okay, well, then I'm going to leave. right? So there's still a lot of that mentality. And a lot of that comes from larger companies. But some of that does come from smaller companies and tech startups. And, and there is something to be said for being in person and innovation happening more naturally when you're in person. But does that mean you need someone to be forced to come in the office twice a week, which will negatively impact their home life? I don't, I'm not sure that that's the case. I'm not sure that you should be requiring that. It's, it's finding ways that work with your people. And then also saying, this place can't be for everyone, right? they we want the right people in the right job at the right time, right? And sometimes a person or a company is going to, they're going to run its course with each other. Hey, what I needed three years ago when I was single is different than I need now when I have a significant other with two children. And by the way, I'm also taking care of an elder. Right. So, so maybe I need to change if my company can't change for me. And I think also recognizing that that's okay, is a good, is a a good healthy relationship for a company to have with an employee saying, you know what, we really want to support you on this. We think we've got a lot of good processes in place, but, you know, barring you working part-time because your role is so critical. We just, we're not going to be able to accommodate these things. And I think that's an okay conversation to have under the right context. And as long as people are leaving your company feeling like, hey, you know what? They did what they could. It's run its course. We're leaving on a good foot. My company may even help me get, find my next role. I think that's what a sort of a productive relationship between employee and employer looks like.
1: We've talked about the challenges faced by the hiring manager the TA how to get talent in and we've also discussed the importance of understanding your people and being able to really kind of improve the retention of stuff not just for a financial reason but actually from a you know because it's the right thing to do what is the biggest challenge you think companies are being faced with within the tech space from you know from a people pillar position so not necessarily the hiring or the retention but just in the day-to-day operations piece what do you think companies could be doing better to 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 be better and, and to improve the culture
0: i think we've touched on it a bit and and i think it's just not looking at what everyone else is doing and making sure that what you're doing works for you and for your employees because every company is unique Right, so not saying, hey, here's our culture, here's um, here's what we're doing for our people, not again, not being black and white. I think too many companies are just, this is what we do, and this is how we do it from a people perspective. And if you want to work here, great. If not, too bad. Instead of maybe just continuing to evolve, you would never do that with a product, right? If you're a tech company and you put a product out there, you would never put out 1.0 and say, this is it. 1.0, we're sticking with this forever. You would never do that so why would you do that with your people programs why would you do that in the way that you evolve your employee experience and evolve your hiring you know so i I think that's the biggest roadblock is you know companies are so product focused and service focused that and they're willing to iterate hey this is 2.0 of our service and our product 3.0 4.0 but they're not willing to do it with people they're not willing to do it with kind of how they're thinking about their talent acquisition or retention or diversity Right? It's just kind of you're doing the same old thing that you've always done. And I, I, I think that hampers, hampers growth and I think that hampers having a good culture. We discussed that in the beginning, what good culture look like looks like. I don't think you can achieve that by just coming in day one, here's what we want to be, and then never touching it again.
1: And you talked about diversity Okay, within companies, within leadership, throughout all levels. Are companies doing enough in the tech space it's all about innovation and thinking ahead but from a diversity perspective where's where it gone wrong because if you look at the the, the um, statistics it's hasn't moved forward enough has it
0: no no it certainly hasn't and that's certainly not unique to tech but but it's it's stark in the tech space for sure from i mean you, you could go anywhere with this you could say you know, do we have enough venture capital funds that are led by minorities, uh, you know, whether it be a gender or an ethnic minority um, that are then investing in gender or ethnic company, you know, diverse companies? Do we have diverse VCs or PEs? Are they investing in diverse companies? Are non-diverse PEs? Are are PEs led by people that look like me, white men? Are they investing in diverse companies? Why or why not, right? And, And I think, that's where diversity comes in. It's all about the opportunity. Where I think companies get it wrong is they you revert back to something that you're comfortable with and saying, "Well, it's a tiebreaker." It, even saying that, I like cringe when someone says, "Well, diversity is a tiebreaker." Well, why is it a tiebreaker? Right? If 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 you if you surround yourself with people like you, don't you think you'll always think like you? You will act like you know, you you'll all act and think in the same way. And as someone who grew up in a very diverse town with a lot of people who didn't look like me, I I think that's really helped me, frankly, personally and professionally, but it's, it's understanding that, Oh, that's a different way of looking at something. And maybe in the end, I don't agree with it, but at least you you sort of have that perspective, right? And, And that can be someone who's I'm white. So that person can be black or Brown. That person can be of a different religion. That person can be of a different sexual orientation, it can be male or female, right? It can also be socioeconomic, someone who grew up in a part of the world or a part of the country in the United States that maybe was much less fortunate or maybe much more fortunate, right? So it's just having those diverse sets of ideas, I think it helps a culture, it helps a company, it helps you get to better decisions. And far too often it's, well, we just want the best candidate. And in many times in tech companies, the best candidate are white men, who came from a certain background, who were given a certain opportunity that people of color and women weren't given. And, and thus, they're not going to have those qualifications.
1: And I, it kind of loops back to what we discussed at the beginning, whereby we talked about that scorecard and how important it was to, to, for, for an HR or hiring manager to really understand what they're looking for and why. But I guess what we really need to question is what's on that scorecard, because if that scorecard is just an Ivy League university um, coming from, you know, a particular socioeconomic background without necessarily stipulating that your writing criteria that strongly alludes to that, then actually your if your scorecard doesn't welcome diverse talent, whether that be gender, sexuality, socioeconomic if a scorecard doesn't make room for diverse people coming through, then it's, going to, it's flawed right from the inception. So it's interesting how we, we seem to have gone sort of 360 in terms of diversity has to impact hiring and hiring has to impact diversity. So what can companies do today? do you think, to kind of really propel diversity forward, you know, in the right direction? A lot of companies are saying the right things on their website and saying the right things on their LinkedIn. But in terms of actions, what do you think they can do?
0: This will sound direct and maybe even harsh, but commit to it, right? Do what you say you're going to do. Because what we see, what we saw with a lot of the social injustice movements uh, that happened around... George Floyd, right in, in the middle, I think that was around June or May or June 2020. That brought light to a large social issue, and it brought light to a lot of companies saying, wow, we really need to be more diverse. That's you know a good outcome from a bad situation. But the problem was, what I saw, and I think probably what many people have seen, is you say something, you put out a statement, you make a donation, six months later, how much more diverse is your workforce? Are you still donating and championing those causes that you said you were going to? Are you prioritizing volunteering and, and, you know, investing in communities that are underrepresented? I hate to say it, but a lot of times companies are not, right? And, and it's companies that I've been a part of that are not and, and companies that my friends are a part of. So it, it the commitment, actually committing to it is is step number one and then saying, okay, we're committed, John. How, how do we do it? There's no magic bullet. You know, you, you need to try new things. Think again, we'll loop it back to tech and 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 of your product or your service. That has to be your diversity strategy. Uh, let's try this. Okay. That didn't really work. How come? What can we learn? What's 2.0 look like? What's 3.0 look like? And it's not always just, you know, the silver bullet that a lot of executives want as well. We'll just hire diverse executives. Well, again, many executives, especially in tech, women, people who are black or brown or, you know, whatever, right. They haven't been afforded the same opportunity as someone like me, unfortunately. So it all starts where I've seen it be successful is you have to invest where you can. Not every role is going to lend itself to a diverse candidate. I think it's okay to say that, but you you can't make that excuse every time. Well, this role, we just can't find someone diverse. Well, build your talent pipeline. You know, maybe there are certain, areas of your company, certain skill sets, certain levels where you will find diverse candidates. So prioritize that and then groom those people and allow them to grow and allow them to feel like they're contributing because you're not always just going to be able to go find the leader who's diverse and say, Hey, the box is checked. If diversity is a check the box exercise, you've already lost in my mind. That's not what it's about.
1: And what we ask of our team, is to hold yourself accountable you know that's one of the buzzwords isn't it and yet as companies are we holding ourselves to that same standard are we are we asking to be held accountable or as you said are we doing that that gesture which is great for the social media and it's great for you know for that for the perception and the brand but actually as you said six months later who's who's holding these companies accountable and Things aren't going to drastically change overnight. But they will change, I think. Obviously, as you said, if everyone is making that concerted effort consistently, month in, month out, year in, year out, then, then we will see that change. Because as you said, John, the statistics are still, you know, heavily weighted. Leadership in tech is heavily weighted to the you know, the profile is largely the Caucasian man. Um And so it's about, I think having these conversations helps massively to drive awareness, but it's about having more of these conversations more often at all different levels to really kind of echo the points that we need to cement.
0: You brought up a great point and it was not, it wasn't the who's holding the companies accountable. You said, do companies want to be held accountable? I don't think many do, right? If if I'm being honest with myself here, I haven't done enough, right? Even in five months of saying, hey, maybe I should every other week be putting in front of our leadership, here's our diversity statistics. Now we've improved. We've got a really great um, female diversity population for a tech company. We need to do better on sort of the non-white diversity front. right? But am I holding myself accountable to that right now, now that I'm reflecting? No, I'm not. How do I do that? I put those numbers in front of our executive team every other week. The key is not just reacting to that though. The key is saying, hey, this might not change for six weeks, might not change for 12 weeks, but over the years, we'll start to see these numbers improve, right? And they're improving because they're always top of mind. Because one thing I've heard from many people is what's not measured is not going to be achieved, right? So if you don't measure something, you can't expect people to to drive towards it. So if I'm constantly saying, hey, here's a look at our population, here's what we're doing to, to sort of make it more diverse, Will it be uncomfortable for me? Because I'm looking at numbers and saying, oh, boy, we're, you know, we're, we're not where we want to be. Yes. But I mean, how many how many companies are getting somewhere where they need to be by being completely comfortable? Right. You have to act and, and behave in an uncomfortable environment. And that'll sort of push you to the results that you want. Um, but I, I think so, but I think holding yourself accountable, how many companies want to be held accountable. Great point. But to your other point. Someone has a board meeting, tech company, they've got their board meeting with their VCs and PEs. Do you think anywhere on those slides, every quarter or however often they have it, there's a slide on diversity? Probably not. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think at the end of the day, if you ask a board, you know, hey, what's the diversity strategy of, of your portfolio companies? I think they'd say, That's a great question, I'll get back to you. <laughs> right? Because they're worried about what they should be.
1: Yeah, or, or it's on the agenda. It's on the agenda. It's really important to us. And then it's just radio silence. Yeah.
0: Right. But by the way, we grew by, you know, 200%. Like, Well, okay. That's good too.
1: <laughs> John, I could talk to you about you know everything culture related for easily another hour um and actually i'm going to hold some stuff back because i would really like for you to be a guest on uh, series two and i've got that now recorded so you can't back out um Um, but I mean look there's been so many interesting things that 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 you've discussed and you know having your perspective on it as the head of people at at Pebble Post and an illustrious career before that as well has been truly truly imperative to this conversation and I think that if I really had to think about the key takeaways I mean there've been so many but really the, the the hiring Manager or, or the talent acquisition, I should say, be, being really kind of armed with the right data and metrics and process and scorecard and purpose, I think is, a, is a really, really important key point. Um, then of course, the retention of people, which stems back to companies understanding their people resonated massively. And actually where, you know, what we're doing within the company as well is just incredibly relevant and then also finally in terms of driving and propelling diversity and companies holding themselves accountable I think this is, is such an interesting interesting uh, point and, and certainly given me and I'm sure I've used a lot to think about so John before we wrap up is there anything else that you'd like to add perhaps anything that I you know we've we've missed in terms of what do you think driving good culture means within tech
0: my my parting shot if you will is just a summary or reiteration of many of the things we've talked about and it's that your people strategy should mirror your product and service strategy so you know don't think that what you did in 2020 will work in 22 and vice versa right continually evolve it think about what people need and when someone comes you to resign as long as they're leaving on good terms, make just have the right conversation with them. Sometimes an employee just says, look, you can't offer me what I need anymore. My needs have changed personally and professionally, and that's okay. So help that inform your decision, help that evolve what your people strategy is. And don't be afraid to try new things, right? Don't get overly process driven, right? We want a certain number of processes, but we also want a place where people can kind of exercise their judgment. So that's my summary or my parting shots on you. On this conversation but this has been fantastic thank you so much
1: John thank you it's always a pleasure speaking with you thank you so much for being a guest and I look forward to speaking with you soon
0: all right thank you likewise take care
1: thanks John bye-bye